irrespective. Expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Dream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your office. Coolest, coolest show you know the hip hop chorus. Well, this is exciting. I know I've been looking forward to this conversation for some while. And uh, so I have with me uh, Alana Morell, and she is a multifaceted communication specialist. And she has a background in business development, marketing, relationship building, and content creation. And she is just an amazing powerful thought leader that is amplifying the importance of vulnerable communication, intersectional storytelling, and community building. In 2019, she created We Are In The Flesh, a platform that holds intimate conversations, interviews, and workshops based in community and togetherness. Alana currently works as a special projects manager for Black Women's Health Imperative, focusing heavily on health advocacy and equity, environmental justice, and climate change. Alana, welcome to The Coolest Show. Thank you. Wow, you really wrapped me up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what we do here on The That's what we do. Well, you know, it, well, you're already pretty cool, so I don't, don't got to do too much ranking up. Some other folks, I got to I gotta, I gotta add a little mustard to the sauce, but, but <laughs> you, you, are, you are good to go. But for those who don't know you yet, tell the audience, who was Alana? Wow. Um, there may be some repeated things from what you just said, but um, definitely a conversationalist, a relationship builder. I love people and human connection, human, human interaction. And I think that's what uh, kind of got me into the health space, just that natural care that I have for people, especially black people. Um, and I'm kind of a hypochondriac, so it's easy to get into health because you're just like, I need to know what's going on with myself. Uh, and, you know, I'm a supporter by nature. I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm an empath, I'm an environmentalist. Um, and, you know, advocating and amplifying the importance of, you know, equity and inclusion and justice for black people is just so important to me. So. I mean, I think there are many different pieces to Alana, but I would definitely say that I am a Black woman, I am a supporter, a caretaker, and I just want to make big change mm. in this world. No, I like all of that. You know, one of the things on this show that, and I love this question, and it is like when I come say, say, you know, I just, who is Alana Morrell, but who is your community? My personal community consists of family, close friends, and honestly, I consider Black people as a whole <laughs> my community <laughs> just because, you know, I automatically, I feel like we are one regardless, even though we are so different and colorful and flavorful, I see another Black person and automatically feel like that's fam. Um, but I also automatically have space in my heart for anyone trying to push the needle forward um, trying to create positive change in the world, fighting for equality and giving voice to anyone who doesn't feel seen or heard or valued. Because, I mean, just like I said before, you know, uh, community building and relationship building is really important to me. And so, um, you know, just anyone that can come together 
and kind of elevate others like that. That is a that is my community. I, I feel like I talk to people very easily and meet people very easily. So many people in my community aren't necessarily like people that I see every day, but they're people that I've worked with that um, have the same values. You know, it's interesting you say that. I, I feel the same way. So a lot of times our work at the Hip Hop Caucus goes from both the suites and the streets. And mm-hmm. so we yeah. have to connect. <laughs> but I, but I, you know, I will be honest. Sometimes I feel much more affinity and much more of a connection with my folks in the streets because I think there's, there's sometimes there's a unique transparency and honesty and just, just a survival. Um, you know, that just comes along with all of that um, and love, you know what I mean? So I just, I, I, I just, I, I feel that connection. And sometimes, um, well, I, I also connect obviously with, with um, my, my people who are in the suites. I right. think that sometimes there is a process where, to be honest, white supremacy and other things causes folks to, just go through their 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 piece to succeed and and to survive, right? And so you know that that's just one thing. So I connect with you on that, and I also connect with you on the mission of the Black Women's Health Imperative. And so yes. tell folks what is the Black Women's Health Imperative and why does the world need it? Yes. So um, Black Women's Health Imperative is a national nonprofit organization dedicated to advancing health equity and social justice for Black women and girls through policy, advocacy, education, research, and leadership development. So we try to identify the most pressing health issues that affect the nation's 22 plus million Black women and girls and invest in the best of the best strategies and organizations that accomplish our goals. So we focus on everything from obesity and wellness, to rare disease and maternal mortality. So breast and cervical cancers, diabetes, HIV and AIDS, intimate partner violence and sexual assault, maternal health and reproductive health are just a few. We have um, some programs. So like one is My Sister's Keeper. They educate uh, HBCU students about reproductive justice. Um, The policy team also does webinars on environmental justice for HBCU students. Um, And we have an anti-tobacco campaign called See Us. And there's a year-long lifestyle change program called CYL Squared or Change Your Lifestyle, Change Your Life um, that hosts a community full of Black women pushing each other to be healthier and avoid diabetes and heart disease, high blood pressure and obesity. Um, We also put together like a policy agenda that specifically... um, focuses on the health of Black women and girls, and also put out a surviving and thriving guide for our community earlier this year. Um, Because, I mean, let's be honest, the past two years have been extremely hard. So we were able to give folks some resources, then also talk to some women that could give their personal experience, tell their stories, whether they had COVID, knew someone who had COVID, and kind of talked about how it impacted them personally. And that was really powerful. So The list goes on and on. Um, But the world needs Black women's health imperative because Black women need all the support that we can get, I think, Um, in the grand scheme of things. um, 
of all things available, we always seem to kind of fall to the back of the line. So organizations like Black Women's Health Imperative not only educate women on how to care for themselves, but we also fight on the Hill for chances in policy and and change, real change that Black women nationwide can feel uh, so that they can receive the care that they deserve. And, um, you know, we deserve to exist without fear and without self-doubt, without insecurity. So, we try to serve as that safe space uh, for for Black women, um, and there aren't many out there. So I feel like every resource counts. No, it it, it does. How how important is it for Black women to take their health and their their well being as critical for themselves? And what I mean when I say that, let me preface it by saying that in my experience, one, I probably am biased because I love black women. <laughs> um, so, But I've always seen, and because I've obviously come from a black woman and been around black women my whole life, I've always seen black women who have literally put others before them mm. and they sacrificed um, you know, for their children, for their community, um, for their church, for their mosque, whatever, whatever it may be. And sometimes literally at the expense of um, themselves. So when you're talking about this, how, how much do you need to also do to convince black women to take their health and put that at the forefront for themselves? Right. So it's kind of, you know, just like when you're on a plane, right? They say, put your mask on before you help others out, because if you're not good, no one's good. So, um, I think we really try to push you know, black women to take care of themselves physically, mentally, and spiritually, because, you know, if you aren't mentally capable of getting through the day, there is absolutely no way you'll be able to support the people that you love. And I feel like a lot of black women, we, we automatically feel like it's our responsibility to take care of the people around us. It's just like instilled in in us. It's a part of who we are. So, um, you know, I, I think that without, I'm not really sure where the world would be without black women. I don't know where our society uh, or our culture as a whole would be or our government, our families. We're, we're really the backbone of the country. Um, and it's, it's important now, especially during the pandemic, that black women are healthy and taking care of themselves because in many homes like uh, we are the sole support of the household. Um, so, you know, that they're getting their kids to school on time, logging them on virtually, preparing the food, ensuring the doctor's appointments are made or the COVID tests are being done, homework's getting done, um, the bills are paid. So, you know, it's important that that we're mentally and physically and spiritually fed and full at this moment, um, because without that strength, I feel like everything crumbles like you you can't do anything if you are not taking care of yourself Mm. and it's really hard sometimes we we had we had a few campaigns out you know about how self-care is not selfish because a lot of people feel like taking that time for yourself you're kind of letting other people down in some way but the people who who love you want you to be healthy they want you to take care of yourself and you you can't really do anything for anyone if, if you know, if you aren't feeling okay yourself. So it's really important. And, and we definitely try to keep that at the top. No, where's uh black woman's health imperative located? Um, so we were founded in Atlanta and 
So half of our staff lives in Atlanta still, and then the other half of us are in D.C. So we have two offices, one in Georgia and one in D.C. That's cool. So, and, and who does it serve? Does it serve people in those regions? Or is, I mentioned HBCUs. I'm sure, is, it, is it also national? Oh, yeah, it's national. So um, even though our offices are here, we try to do a lot of uh, virtual events that can cater to people in different parts of the country. And we also have a few employees that are in other parts of the nation. South Carolina, one was in California, um, Detroit, you know, so we definitely can still reach those other places. Um, and then also, you know, with certain campaigns that we do, like where we have a vaccine, COVID vaccine uh, hesitancy um, program going on right now. So we're targeting not only Baltimore, but like, you know, Houston and Oakland and Chicago. Um, so we're in Newark, New Jersey, like we're really trying to get out there and reach everyone. And the information that we put out on the site, um, you know, it's it's valuable to where, no matter where you live. So. No, you know, as, as you're talking, I was, when we were having our producers meeting, preparing for this conversation, um, I had actually asked the other producers um, who were here, um, mostly black women, and they was like, said, do y'all, really, do y'all want me to have this conversation because we really want to have real talk? And they were like, no, it's important for a black man to, to have and, and have, this, have this conversation. Were they right in that assessment? Why is it important for Black men to be in tune to this conversation? I personally think it's important for Black men to be in tune with this conversation because sometimes I feel that Black men forget how much we need their support. Mm. And I don't think that um, many people in general are educated when it comes to how much Black women go through and how much we endure, even internally, just like what goes on in our mind. Um, I think I think it's great to get Black men in the conversation, because like you said before, you come from a Black woman, you have Black women in your family. This is another way for you to understand how to better cater to the Black women in your life and around you and the Black women that you meet, or a better way for you to educate you know, your friends and family that are Black men on how they can do better. It's better, you know, you're getting the information from the source instead of reading about it or assuming. Um, I think it's really important for Black men to be in the conversation because Black women love Black men. You know what I mean? And I, I think there's been a lot of talk, which is kind of off, off topic, but a lot of talk about how Black men aren't necessarily as supportive of Black women as Black women are two black men. So, you know, it's, it's helpful and it feels good to have a black man in the room. that's like, I care. I want to support you. We're all in the same community. And I think people sometimes tend to forget that. So obviously I don't think that you personally forgot that, but I, I, I think that it's good for black men to show that they care about black women, because a lot of times it does feel like we're fighting this fight on our own. Explain that. Well, a lot of times, or at least from what I've seen outside of the professional world, right? Because, you know, in nonprofits, you have all kinds of people. But, you know, people that the the people going the hardest for Black women are usually Black women, Mm. you know? And I think that sometimes I feel like the support isn't necessarily there from Black men. 
Um, and I don't, and maybe it's not on purpose, but I do think that when it comes down to it, the movers and the shakers, the people taking the first step to, to fight for the equality of the black woman for respect for the black woman is a black woman. So, you know, it's interesting over these past couple of years where, you know, big white organizations may have been stepping forward and saying, you know, we support black women, you know, whichever. Um, but it's like, you know, why, why is it then that now we're also hearing like more black male voices as well? It's like, you should have been with us this entire time. And it's, you know, black women also, you know, we have sons, so I, I feel like it's just automatic in that caretaker role that we're just taking care of our people and then just be nice for that to be, you know, coming from both sides. And I don't think that, you know, black men are selfish at all. There are plenty of black men who care about black women, care about their daughters, et cetera. But like, as far as like the message that gets out, I feel like many, you know, black men are kind of, they're trying to get ahead and maybe <laughs> just not really thinking all the time about the black women that are behind them, trying to push them, trying to support them or who are putting them in these places of power in the first place. Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about my background and hopefully, cause I, I want you, I think this conversation is essentially important conversation to, to be just as transparent, to be healthy for our community. So one of the things for me in being in hip hop, I wasn't uh when we first started doing this work in DC, a lot of the, I'll just say, let's say the mainstream folks in the movement weren't appreciative of the work that we were doing. As a matter of fact, when we were first started the Hip Hop Caucus, we took our name. We had we I had been working, um, you know, with a number of folks in the hip hop community, and then we were like, okay, we're going to Hip Hop Caucus, and we took the Caucus from the Congressional Black Caucus. And then even from the first Congressional Black Caucus, um, when we were lining ourselves up, there was, I would say in the words of, uh, you know, the biblical sense, there was no room in the inn. And so we were we were not allowed. And so our first meeting had to happen at, at Howard. And then we were kind of outside of that. This is, now this is 2004, 2005. But the fast forward right around that time frame, I was very fortunate because it was not in that considered part of the the clique, I guess, within D.C., I was very blessed um, to be then brought in and mentored, as it as usually is the case, by Dr. Dorothy Irene Height. So Dr. Dorothy Irene Height was like, took a little bit of favor and says, listen, I want to I wanna talk with you and work with you, um, which was unusual because obviously uh, the National Council of Negro Women is her, was, her, was her organization in, in that aspect. So I say that she taught me, I got a lot of stories, right? And one of the stories that she gave to me was this. And it changed my perception on even some of our, our leaders, like Dr. King and so forth. And so she had told me, she says that when she was, um, you know, during the March on Washington, they wouldn't allow any black woman to speak. And they only allowed for black women to sing. In that aspect, they, even though she was one of the main organizers to that to that front, and then she went on and said this. She said, um, "At the time, she was old enough to be Martin and John Lewis' mother, and she she felt a, a, even a, 
even a harder disrespect because it wasn't just her, but many of the other black women, they refused in the patriarchal nature. And then she would just, and I asked her how she felt about that. I said, well, Dr. Hyde, how do you feel about that? Because these are the folks you're in the movement with, and this is obviously the Marshall Washington. You helped organize it. You were there with Aphila Randolph. And she looked at me, and she says, she says, Rev, you know, God works in mysterious ways. She says, you know, I outlived all of them. <laughs> um, so that my voice <laughs> as a woman could be heard. And, mm. and, and that was, to me, one very powerful and her just her patience, but also very sad. Do you feel that sometimes from a position you're talking that black women have to almost sometimes outlive in some cases black men and or, or patriarchal situations so their voice can be heard? Or how can that or what or, or are we in a different stage and age in our evolution as black people? I I can definitely see why she said that. I I I don't think right now we like I don't personally feel like I have to outlive any black men to get my message across. However, I do feel like I need their help mm. to fully get my message across. It's interesting because this is like the hip hop caucus and you started talking about hip hop and it and and it just made me think. And I don't know if this is a little off topic and you no, can totally cut no. this if you want, but <laughs> it's, you know, like me and me and my friends often have conversations about, you know, even the music, you know, these days and and how, you know, a lot of artists disrespect black women, usually darker skinned black women, like within their music or in their, in their interviews saying like they shouldn't wear red lipstick or like, that's not their type. Or they're always talking about, they want like the foreign girl or talking about like, Oh, they have the pretty, you know, white girl now. Cause, and then it's it's, it's, as if it's some, I don't know, like symbol of like prestige that like, oh, you were able to get this like woman of this other race to like you when really, you know, there are so many strong, powerful black women who want to be with black men or, you know, be respected by black men, um, pursued by black men. And I don't I don't know. It's interesting that the hip hop is is us. It, It is our culture. And it's like crazy that at the root of that. Um, many very respected artists have no issue like disrespecting black women, but they have like black moms and black sisters and black. I I, I think that um, obviously we fight for ourselves and we respect each other, but, you know, power is in numbers. So like if we have our black men on our side, just in general, supporting us, supporting what we say, believing in us, elevating our message, elevating us in the workplace. You know what I mean? For elevating us in equal pay, like fighting for us at the hospital, you know, if we're saying we're having an issue and we're kind of getting pushed to the side, like, you know, it's just like that matters. Just having that person there, whatever the situation is, whether it's on a huge scale on a big platform on television or whether it's just day-to-day life. I think that the black man has, a huge role in a black woman's life, whether he knows it or not. And I feel like we can help each other and elevate each other. And I don't think either has to like die out for the other to succeed or be heard. And I totally understand why she said that 
for that era because, you know, they basically completely silenced the women. They just said, you come Mm -hmm. and use your beautiful voice and you go home. (laughs) And thank you for your assistance. Um, And now I feel like we can walk together and we can pass the mic. And I think that that is so powerful and extremely beautiful. And but it's like, how much farther would we get if instead of just the the woman, you know, giving the guy the mic or asking him for assistance or, you know, asking him, you know, for these connections so that we can fight for a better world that he's automatically offering saying, hey, like instead of me speaking, how about you come and you speak in my place? Or how about we, you know, get this message right right from the person it's affecting or why don't we, you know, why don't I give you this resource or connect you to this person so you can make more money, so you can have this opportunity, et cetera, because Black men still make more than Black women. So even though Black women tend to have more education, like it's, it's so, you know, there are different, I feel like we can help each other. You know, as you're, as you're talking, and it's very important, I think, you know, it isn't off track. This is the coolest show. And we also, we definitely inter- interlink culture and climate, all that things together. And, and hip hop mm-hmm. is a part of our process. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that is something that is very important to discuss about how we, how we treat each other, right? And in particular, particularly how we are treating particularly black women and the colorism acts, aspects of that. As you're talking about that, though, I'm listening to you because I, I obviously have been in this field around hip-hop for years, and one of the things that has kept me sane in some aspects has been the fact that I understand the, the capitalistic and how simply the oppressed will act like the oppressed. Mm. And, and in that aspect, that's the thing. But I also know that when the movement is strong, the music is strong, mm-hmm. but when the movement is weak, the music is weak, and you see that, and you see yeah. that, and we're, and I'm so I'm so happy with certain artists who are becoming not just artists, and they're not just activists, but they're artists. They're combining their craft. So we're seeing both sides of that. We're seeing we're literally at a at a moment now, post the reckoning from Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, and we're mm-hmm. seeing we're seeing a, a a struggle within our own culture. But what I also recognize is that within that struggle, because sometimes it's not only just black men, but it's also black women attacking black women, um, mm-hmm. it sometimes feels like there are threats that are black women that are facing. And so what kind of threats are black women facing? And, and what does, you know, BWHI do about that? Wow. <laughs> It's so funny that you asked that question after the conversation that we were just having. But yes, colorism is definitely a thing. And there's definitely we do have our own battles like within our own race. But outside of our own race and the additional threats, you know, we are definitely facing threats from all angles at all times. We face threats from the healthcare system not taking us seriously. Black women usually don't have the best health coverage um, or it's harder to get. And even when we do, you know, that implicit bias um, that still remains in hospitals and doctors offices. So many times we're ignored when we complain about uh, pain or concerns around our health, which then leads to a later diagnosis and an earlier death. Um, And I know that's not just black women, but it's black people as a whole, just like um, 
Nicole Hannah-Jones on the 1619 podcast. She was talking about her uncle who uh, had extreme back pain and he went to his primary care physician and they told him it was fine when really, you know, he had stage four cancer and ended up dying. Um, And, you know, I, you don't have to be poor or without quality health insurance to suffer the consequences of like a racial, a racial, a racially and culturally uninformed um, society, like Beyonce and Serena Williams, right? Like they both had like really hard uh, birth processes and they are millionaires, billionaires even. Then I, you know, I grew, I, I grew up with a girl. I knew her since the second grade. Um, she was 23 having her second child and, and died like right after. Um, and, and they said she complained of leg pain and discomfort and they sent her home anyway. Um, and, and she ended up dying. So, you know, it, black women are three to four times more likely to die during childbirth than their white counterparts. Um, and there's this myth floating around that black folks have like a higher pain tolerance. Um, so doctors are more inclined to brush it off. But, um, so that, that's a thing on its own. Um, but aside from health, you know, black women also face societal threats, you know, getting paid less while usually having the most responsibility. So needing more money. Um, we also have to worry about being taken seriously in the workplace, not being judged for our appearance, um, whether that be like the color of our skin or the texture of our hair, how we wear our hair. Um, black women have to worry about losing their kids to police brutality, the prison system. We have to worry about justice for ourselves. Like if something happens to to us, will we be believed if we report it? If we go missing, will they put it on the news for longer than an hour or at all? You know, um, one threat um, that that I constantly think is a threat is the fact that I feel like, you know, most of the time it really is us only standing up for us and not just, um, you know, black women, but just the black community standing up for the black community. And we're, we're powerful, but we also you know, we we need help because there are people in places of power that can help us to kind of make the decisions and without them fighting for us as well. Like that is a direct threat to our health and our well-being. Well, talk talk more about that. I think that's important because what you're hitting on there so that is very important that I think is critical for us as a community and a people. How How do we put us on the front burner, so to speak? How do all these things you're talking about move themselves from listen not, not even on not even on the burner they're not even they're not they're, they're not even in the kitchen to be honest we gotta we gotta right. bring yeah so how do we how do we move this and let me let me add a caveat to that I believe a lot of times we have other people making decisions about what is important to us right and so I think that we have to take control over what we determine is important and then move that up to the front. But what is your thoughts on that? No, I mean, that's a, that's really exactly my thought. Um, I think that more Black people, Black women need to be in places of power, especially in legislation. Um, obviously, the way this country is run, like policy is all, basically. So it's like, if if it's not law, nothing's going to change. And we can scream from the top of the mountains But if it's not written and signed in a bill, um, you know, moral of the story, the struggle is going to keep on keeping Mm -hmm. on. So I feel like, you know, there's no one answer 
to that question. And there's no easy answer because it would have been done. But I think that people need to keep speaking up about what's really important to them and getting in front of, um, you know, their state legislators or getting in contact with organizations that have um, the resources and the connections with people on the Hill so that we can start drafting um, bills and policy that can eventually get in front of the president to be signed and, you know, passed because nothing's going to change if nothing changes in law. I mean, unfortunately for us, because, you know, when it comes to people of color in general, like this country isn't necessarily saying like, we are going to do all that we can to make sure that you are taken care of. It's just not how it works. So we're going to have to fight for ourselves. We're going to have to um, make sure that the people in power know what we need. And I feel like we also have to educate our people as well. I feel like a lot of black people because we already have so much to worry about right so it's like i feel like it's hard sometimes to talk to people about everything that's really wrong with the system as a whole because they're just trying to like pay their bills and like get their kids to school you know make sure their car is running like the small basic day-to-day things and i think people at the top especially not, you know, non-people of color, they're looking into these communities thinking like, oh, okay, like this is all you need. We can just throw money at this thing or that thing. Um, But they're not coming into the community and talking directly to the residents of these communities and saying, what exactly do you need? Because then they would be able to help them on a basic level. Like you are not going to be worrying about maternal health bills being passed if you just, you know, if you're number one, if you're not pregnant, but also if you can't get your car to start or if you're not even eating, mm. you know, like I don't, there's there are a lot of um, places with food apartheid, especially like in Baltimore. I grew up closer to Baltimore. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's just wild to talk to people who just don't have day to day necessary um, items about the bigger picture because they're just trying to eat. So I feel like we have to come together in our communities sometimes and 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 help other black communities, like people who do have need to reach back and and help because we're more aware than people who are white, but then also we need to help these folks who don't have a voice get in front of these people who do have the power to make change on a bigger level. And there are so many different pieces to that. Like there's no ease and it's going to take time and it's going to take a lot of us constantly knocking on doors, really kicking doors down to get the message across um, because it's hard. And, and a lot of people in power don't want things to change. No, they, they, they don't. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about how the black woman's health imperative and you're talking about the link with, with climate and you were talking about with food scarcity, obviously, and over there in, uh, over there from where you live around Baltimore and in, in that area and just around the globe and, and definitely in our communities. But and for folks who don't know who are listening, that is literally for many, we, we, we used to say uh, food deserts, but deserts are actually natural. So we say, yeah. we, we're, we're, we're saying more food scarcity and also the lack of food and, and good food in our communities. Um, but on top of that, we also know that 68% of 
black people live within 30 miles of coal-fired power plants. And mm. so the pollution, the asthma, um, the cancer, the emphysema, um, the, the birth mortality rates that are impacted because of that. We also know that there are, in some communities, they're either from Cancer Alley in Louisiana, where I'm from, or there, there are many other things of toxins from petrochemicals and things that are put into our, and I can go on, in other words, I can go on, I can talk about the lead, um, obviously, you know, um, from that impacted from Freddie Gray to, to Flint. I can go on and go on and go on about just how our communities, and not only are we feeling this pressure <laughs> on our health, but they're also sacrifice zones. So <laughs> how how do we then, with all of this, it almost, and then people will say, man, it was like, well, man, you know, with daggone Rev and Alana, that sounds like genocide. <laughs> um, um, how, how, and for, for, this is obviously a climate podcast, connect the dots then between all of that madness that's going on from our the pollution and the poverty to connecting that to, our health, um, particularly for black women. How does that intersect with our environment uh, and climate change? So climate change directly affects black communities at higher rates, just in general. I mean, when it comes to, there's like so much I can say. It's kind of like um, something over Well, really focus on, I mean, the particular pollution impact on the maternal health. I think that's been on the paper recently. So if you maybe maybe oh, lead yeah, in. on maternal health. Okay. Yeah, so lead, I mean leading with that. Okay. So regarding maternal health, I mean, you know, when it comes to water, lead affects fertility, fetal development, infant health, um, and also contributes to a lot of learning disabilities as well. So like bottle-fed infants who consume mostly formula mixed with tap water. Um they ingest those high levels of lead that could lead to de developmental delays. Um, and then obviously that'll cause so many more problems when it comes to education and health down the, down the line that will impact that black family. Um, women, you know, when they're exposed to lead and other metals during pregnancy, she's more likely to miscarry or deliver a preterm baby. And black children are three times more likely than white children to have highly elevated blood levels. Um, so pesticides, oh, sorry, pesticides in drinking water have been linked to spontaneous abortions and uh, birth defects as well. So, you know, climate change is directly killing black women and their kids. Like they're, you know, it's causing issues. If, if the child lives, it causes, causes issues in their developmental years. It affects the mother, even if it's only affecting the mother's health. How is she going to take care of the family if she herself is not healthy? Um, and it's also putting more financial stress on the family because now you have hospital bills. Now you have more doctor visits. You know, now they're having issues at school and they're getting in trouble because they can't focus. And then, you know, the teachers give up and then that causes a whole nother thing and they end up, you know, not going to school and, you know, getting into trouble. And I mean, it just, it just leads to so many different things. Um, so as far as maternal health goes, climate change has to be addressed when it comes to the black community, because really our future depends on it. Mm, I yeah. mean, I, it's, it's that, it's that important. Like, I don't really know 
what I mean. Yeah, it's like a life or death kind of thing. So then, when you hear me talk about the genocide aspect of this, like what seems, I don't want to, I don't want to throw that word out there. People make it sound like I'm not putting the full weight, even though I am putting the full weight behind that. Right. Um, when you hear that, then how does that impact you and the work that you do? When you think in the back of your mind, is this orchestrated? Yeah. Well, you know, just like you said, many black communities are placed, you know, right. They're in hazardous areas and they are strategically placed where, you know, the water infrastructure isn't as great or the air is extremely polluted. Um, And, you know, a lot of this happened during the redlining you know, back in the day. And, and a lot of Black communities that stood back then are still predominantly Black today. Um, so I do feel like it's strategic. And I do feel like, you know, the fact that many governments don't put the money and the attention into the communities that need the most help when it comes to um, climate change um, and a better environment. It kind of it kind of shows that like they're I don't, I don't want to say that they are purposefully trying to kill us off because that, you know, I am here <laughs> representing Black Women's Health Imperative. But personally, <laughs> Alana, they definitely thinks that that is the case. I, I, I feel like there is a reason why we are, are not um getting the help that we need, why, you know, when we're petitioning to get certain factories taken down or when we're trying to, you know, get grants and loans or whatever to move to better places that, you know, we are not, you know, afforded that right. Um, It's like, why can't you build a grocery store down the street? You know, like, why can't you make sure more produce is being pushed into the corner store if you can't put a grocery store in my neighborhood? And it's like, because you want me to eat the Twinkies and the chips and Mm. the unhealthy stuff. Like you want me to eat at McDonald's. You don't want me to go to Whole Foods. Um, so I, I, you know, I think, I think it there, I think, yes, there, there are some powers at bay that are saying if we keep them addicted to cigarettes and eating trash and breathing horrible air, then they will remain at a certain level and we will remain in power. And so it's that constant fight of us trying to remain healthy so that we can, create and make better for ourselves. And we're even getting pushed back in that process. Um, so I definitely think that a lot of it is systemic for sure, because if they were just like, sure, here's the money, here's the way that you can, you know, here's your access and equality, then we would be at the top mm. in seconds. And I, and I think that that's hard for many people to accept. Yeah. And no, you're saying some deep, some deep truths right now. Uh, and I think that we have to deal with that. And I have, this time goes by so quick. I just really have two more questions, but I also want to give you the opportunity to, because um, I want you to talk about, you know, your campaigns and programs you're working on now in that aspect. But I also kind of want you just to speak to our community. Um, and you can speak as Alana, <laughs> you can speak as mm-hmm. Alana from Black Women's Health Imperative. You you can choose. But if you had the opportunity to uh, have this platform where you can talk to all Black people and we could tune into you for this next segment, what 
this is a ama- yeah. You got you got everybody you got everybody attention across <laughs> this country. Uh, what are you gonna tell us? Everything's got to change. <laughs> everything, everything has to change. I'm speaking as Alana. Everything <laughs> has to, before I move forward, but everything has to change. Period. We have to come together. Every little small thing that we thought that that mattered, you know, the flashy, flashy, and the followers and all that. Put that to the side. We have to come together. We have to vote. We have to educate ourselves. We have to advocate for ourselves in every situation. If you feel like your child is brilliant and they are in a class that is for, you know, kids that have learning development issues, you have to march into that principal's office and get your child moved. If you want better foods for you, everybody needs to eat better. Stop eating so much meat. I know people are going to hate me, but please green up your plate. It's important. You know, I know it's an access thing, but if you are just buying raw vegetables, it's not that expensive. If you can just you know make a salad there, there are things that we can, we can do. I just feel like we need to come together. We need to educate ourselves. We need to figure out what needs to be done for the future of our race, because Everything, so many of us are going through so much and it's hard to think about tomorrow, but like, that's, that's the trick. Like, that's the trick of it all. Like put so much on the, on the black person that they can't figure out how to build for tomorrow. They can only think about the right now. And I feel like we just really need to start helping each other out and figuring out like, okay, how can we raise up out of this hole that the society has put us in when it comes to our health, our education, you know, our finances, everything. We, we just, we need to have more open conversations. We need to be less judgmental of those that are doing worse than us or better than us. And we need to realize that like, it, it's going to take all of us to, to make that change. And even if you don't believe in the government, even if you don't believe in <laughs> our legal system, anything like that, you know, you have to vote because at the end of the day, like that is the only thing that will, that that's the only thing that will create change that is big enough for us to see a better future. Like it has to be on paper. It has to be law. And, and I have a lot of friends who didn't vote because they thought that they were voting for the lesser of two evils. And they think, you know, it's all, but it's just like, just do it anyway. Do it anyway, just in case it works. Like, just you, you're burning calories. Just go do it. Um, focus on what matters and think about the generations to come. Like, what we do today will heavily affect what happens tomorrow. So, focus on your health, take care of yourself, put all the petty stuff to the side, and just really think about what a perfect world for black people looks like, what that means to you, because we can create that and we can build that, but it really will take all of us. We have some allies, but you know, I mean, we can't just depend on like the couple of advocates and then like the handful of our white allies. Like it really has to be all of us like kicking down doors to make this change. So just please come together and please go to the doctor. Do not be scared of the doctor. I mean, that was a word. <laughs> I was like, oh, that made sense, but that, that was a word. No doubt about it. You definitely that was that was that was phenomenal. That was a word. And so so much that was said there. You know, before I and I want to add something to that. A question actually. 
I want to ask you, you know, how we can open your work and how we can support you and all that kind of stuff. So that's the next, and obviously the campaigns you're working on. So that's the next question. But I want to ask this. You know, in I work a lot in the streets. Um, and in my earlier part of my career, I had to bury black babies. Um, it's really hard, actually. Um, if every... The, the hardest thing for me, someone asked me, what's the hardest thing about burying black babies? And I said that the most noticeable thing for me is that the casket is so much smaller. It's just yeah. so much smaller. Um, and I've been in funerals where I had to do when mothers who lost little girls wanted to try to climb into those small caskets. Um, wow. So I followed up what you just said with this. How much do we need to lay on the line to not only fight for black women, but just for black people? How much do we need to lay on the line at this moment? Personally, I think everything, you know, and I know that everyone, everybody is here for a reason. Everyone has different gifts. So people are willing to lay different things. You know, during the civil rights movement, many people died. And those were people that were willing to lay their life. But it's because of that, that we are here where we are, you know, today. And we're able to do a little more than we were able to do in the 50s and 60s. I'm not going to say that we've made grand change because a lot of it just kind of went underground and is still going on. Um, but I do think that power and prestige will have to be laid. I feel like a lot of people don't speak up because they're scared of losing their jobs or they're scared of not looking cool to certain people. I feel like that has to go. You know what I mean? It's like, what do you really stand for? You know what I mean? Like somebody giving you a like on Instagram or a white counterpart feeling like you're questioning, like it, being uncomfortable is worth your people being free and respected mm. and equal. Like that, that's just what it is, you know? Um, so I definitely think you got to lay your power, your prestige, your comfort, you know, some people... And but you don't have to give all of your money and all of your time. The more money and the more time, the better. But at the, I mean, you still have to take care of yourself. But I'm saying there are some people who, you know, don't give anything and have plenty to give. So you, you have to become a giver. You have to become somebody that's willing to speak up, even if it makes you scared. You know, you, you just have to be willing to step outside of your box the small task that everyone should have now, because obviously dying is not something anybody wants to do, but there are people out there, you know, that are willing to go that far and God bless them. And I'm not saying anybody go out and do anything crazy, but I do think that the first step is being willing to step out of your comfort zone for your people and yourself. I think that we've been so battered that we, sometimes you tend to like separate yourself from like the trauma you forget that like oh yeah i'm black too you know and before i got super heavily heavily involved in this work you know just because i was living in a suburb and racism didn't seem so you know in my face you tend to forget how the world really is but these laws and these um you know biases and you know these day-to-day -day things that affect my people still affected me, even in my little pink cloud bubble. So I feel like everyone just needs to remember, like, 
you know, you should be ashamed to just sit and do nothing. As a black person, you were put on this. It, it, it's, it is our responsibility to ensure that we are taking care of each other. And, you know, we can't force anybody to do anything, but at least like be able to advocate for yourself, for your family. If you have any kind of comfort, if you have any kind of power, think about what it took for you to get there. Think about who helped you to get there and try to do that for somebody else and and speak up, like really represent being black. Know that you are lucky to be black. Know that you are blessed and privileged to even be on this planet breathing and use that gratitude and help everyone else at all at at any cost get uncomfortable like you have no excuse tell us how we can keep up with your work and how we can support you um so black women's health imperative is always doing like a hundred things at once so if you go to the website www.bwhi.org you will see all of the different programs and campaigns that we have going on and you can choose to follow whatever um you know is of interest to you like we have unmuting fibroids and you know fibroids um, affect 80% of black women. So we're bringing awareness to that. And we had like Yvonne Orgy from Insecure, which a lot of people know, and Tamar Braxton, a few others, um, do a couple of webinars on that topic. We also had serving conversations, which was with Sierra. And she's talking to different people about cervical care, uh, cervical cancer awareness, um, HPV testing, et cetera. So, you know, you can tune into that. We have the Rare Disease Diversity Coalition, the Rise for Rare campaign. We're really trying to educate people on, um, you know, different rare diseases that Black people um, and people of color, you know, that they suffer from and, and the statistics on that, the facts and how to help, how to get more information. We're doing patient stories. So if you know somebody with a rare disease or you have a rare disease and want to share your experience, um, please do, because this is helping the physicians. The, this is, you know, increasing the relatability between patients. A lot of people feel like they're alone in that because rare, dis- I mean, it's a rare disease. So, you know, you might feel like you're in that alone and, and trust me, you are not. So that is a safe, sp- that is a safe space as well. Um, COVID-19 I already talked about that. And that's something that's currently kind of affecting everyone. We have vaccine awareness, um, and hesitancy events that are going on and you can, you know, sign up for our email list and we can send you more information on that. But we also put out information on our Instagram and our Facebook, which is, uh, BLK women's health. So it's at BLK women's, uh, imperative. And, um, yeah, like there's, there's, there's so much going on, but I would just say, click around, see what, um, interests you and just pick, Pick something that you want to advocate for when it comes to black women, especially if you are black or a black woman, because this directly affects you. And if you don't, you know, suffer from one thing or the other, you probably know somebody that does, even if you don't know they have it. Like these things are so common and a lot of people don't even know that they have fibroids. They just think they have really bad cramps or, you know, people don't know that they have HPV because it's so common. So, you know, it's just good to educate yourself. I think that that's what, that's how you can help us. (laughs) You can go to our website and look for yourself, but also even if you don't use our website, like everyone should just educate themselves 
on their health because it's hard out here, but you have to take care of yourself. You have to remember to go to the doctor. If you feel like something's wrong, check it out. Take care of yourself. That is like what we want you to do. That is how you, yes, that is how you will make us very happy. If you just pay attention to your health, value yourself. You are worth it. <laughs> and that's our guest today, Alana Morell, who is with Black Women's Health Initiative. And I am Rev with your host of The Coolest Show. Thank you, Alana. Thank you. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Fake100Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know. It's the coolest show you know.